Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, the show dedicated to the private investor, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. We want to show you how to cross the divide from residential investing over to commercial property investing. Through interviews, tips and lessons learned, we share experiences of investing and give you the inspiration, knowledge and confidence to enjoy this great cash flowing strategy. So let's get started. I'm delighted to be joined by Craig Lambie today. Craig has a stellar property story to tell us, to share with us. So welcome, Craig. Good to have you here. Thanks, Jerry. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, we, we've had a bit of a windy story to get to this point, haven't we? You are always flat out with loads of things going on. But we actually met, I think, a couple of years ago now and in a mastermind program that we ran. It might have even been the first one that it we ran. Was, I can't remember. It was your very first program. Yes. There we go. Yeah. Uh, so, and it hasn't damaged you too much. You've you've kept going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely I definitely not damaged from it. In fact, it opened my eyes to the opportunities of commercial buildings. So, um, yeah, you know the the at the time we were doing commercial to residential conversions, and there's this problem with the the high street part of a commercial building sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So we, we saw your program and thought, oh, we do HMOs upstairs. Let's do CMOs downstairs. That is there great. Is. So, yeah. yeah, it was really, really eye-opening. Yeah, cool. All right, so we're not here to talk about that. I, I, wanna, I think what the best thing we should do is let's set the scene. What is Craig doing just now? What, what are the kind of projects you're working on right now? Because you mentioned there about HMO. Mm. and doing commercial to resi so maybe just expand that and just give the listeners just an idea of what sort of projects you're involved in right now okay so i've got four projects on the go at the moment and they're all quite different so the hmo one is in macclesfield i'm converting a 900 square meter shop into two small shops and nine flats uh, six of which will be minimos so multi-let you know, under the licensable level. Yeah. And it, it was also easier to get planning to do that um, okay. than going, you know, the full yeah. the full hog, so to speak. We, and how many stories is in that building? So that's a three-story building. Three okay. Yeah, it's got an attic, but we're using that as plant space. So right. that's a, it's an interesting one. We're trying to build as green as possible yep. within budget, which means a lot of, extra thermal envelope in you know high efficiency heating as well for the for the very little amount of heating that we need 
we can yep. use air source heat pumps and things like that. So, okay, great. All right, yeah. well, we, we must talk about that a little bit more. What, what yeah. other projects are you working on just now with the other three? So then I've got one in, near Warrington. Um, so I work in the northwest of England mostly, except one in North Wales, which is yeah. just over the border. <laughs> so I've got another one in near Warrington. Uh, we just got planning approved for 10 houses. So we bought, it was a commercial building that we originally were going to convert to resi under permitted development or prior approval. We kind of got the feedback from the agents that were in the local area and said, don't do flats there. That won't work. They won't sell. Do housing. So we went down this path towards housing and full planning, which to be honest, I'd probably never do again. It was it was awful. I mean, the 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 planning gain is good, but the time and and the hair pulling, you know, that sort of sort of thing. I think um, I remember that project. was was awful. Craig, was that project not around two years ago? I think we were talking about that one. Yeah, yeah, it was two. Wow, yeah, it does take um, time, doesn't it? Two and a half years it took from when we agreed to buy it. So we did a site investigation, which took six months before we completed on the project, which was part of the, the offer. Well, the once we won the bid, actually, we changed our offer. But that's, yeah. that's a dull story. <laughs> so, but, yeah, so two and a half years, you know, the heartache, the, the, the costs, the refinancing in the middle because, you know, because it was so long on, yeah. on the bridge, couldn't go any longer. Yeah, it was expensive okay in, all right yeah so that one that one's getting that one. you to, to to the end of the tunnel it is yeah <laughs> and then the other two yeah so then we've uh we've got 13 apartments in liverpool that we renovated unfortunately that didn't sell in the spring last year so what we've decided to do is to take them off the market and put them onto the serviced accommodation market the short let market which is what the original use was as well. So it's very yeah. easy for us to do that. We have four of them ready to go and let out, and already we've got a three-month booking in two of them. So it was it was a fantastic shift, you know, <laughs> three months at, at quite nice rates. So that, that was fantastic. So it's an excellent building. It's got a beautiful outlook across the, the Mercy there in Liverpool and and everything so it was a, an absolute bargain we're very very pleased with that one it makes all the other problems yeah you know melt away if you like when you have a, a real winner like that how long did that yeah. one take you uh so that one was a bit shorter funnily enough from the day we bid on it at auction until completion was about 12 months yeah, um, okay. but then the renovation only took six months. Right, <laughs> so, the actual work. Yeah. yeah, the actual work. <laughs> well, you say the actual work. I mean, the twelve months before that was work. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. That was my work. And then, you know, I, I once once I hand it to the builder, my God, it's like the work disappears in comparison. And then the um, fourth one is that Marl Hall. That's right, yeah. So the fourth one is a beautiful listed building in North Wales that was an outdoor education centre. We bought it off Warwickshire Council and it's sort of sort of sat empty for the last 12 months while we were going down a planning trek to convert it to holiday lets. 
yeah. it turned out that that wasn't going to be feasible. So we've had to pivot and, and we're now going for a boutique hotel, which is much more suited for its, its beauty, I guess, as well. Yeah. Actually, this summer, we've hired a serviced accommodation business to yep. rent it out as an outdoor education centre for small groups yep. that are coming up to do like mountain biking or kayaking or, I don't know, going skiing at Klingadadu, <laughs> those, those sorts of things. Yeah. So that's, that's going to be great. So we've, we've turned that around in the last three months from yeah. this, you know, money-sucking <laughs> This building to uh, to a yeah cash flow right. Really let let let's park that because I want to I want to come back to that one circle. But that's the project I'd like to talk a little bit more about. So okay. I think is that that's great. So set the scene of where we're at right now. But I think mm. the value a lot of listeners are going to get is actually listening to where this all started from. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you could just give us a brief background to why you decided to get involved in property. And not only that, why you decided to come to the UK? Yeah. So maybe you could just go through a little bit of that to give set the scene. Yeah. So the the listener may have heard I'm I have an Australian accent. Yeah. It's not a very strong one. I I can make it sound a bit more ocker if you like. <laughs> but, but yes. So I my wife and I were in Melbourne. We were kind of looking for something different to do. And we did a property course with a, a Welsh guy. Yep. Um, we did his course and sort of learnt how the housing demand in the UK is is quite high, which it still is. We we know that. That was a fact as as it was. Yep. <laughs> there were quite a few non facts <laughs> that we learnt, but anyway, <laughs> that one was was definitely okay. So we we did some due diligence outside of that, but we sort of were really keen to do something different and property made a lot of sense. My wife is a, a solicitor and had done a lot of contracts and property deals and conveyancing in, in Australia and didn't think it was too different here to to manage the lawyers here. She didn't want to be a lawyer anymore. So yeah, we pulled up stumps, packed everything up. Shifted all across to the UK and and started looking for for properties. We actually secured two small houses. Uh, no, it was a, a small four bedroom mid terrace that we were going to do a flip on originally, and then we secured a office conversion, a small commercial conversion that already had planning, which is required in Wales. So I think they were secured around about the time that we came. So we picked up our first mid terrace for forty five grand, and yeah. in comparison to property in Australia, there's there's nowhere even in like the middle of the outback of Australia you can't buy something for forty five thousand pounds. This is unheard of. You know that's that's like one square meter of desert in the middle of of Australia, which you can't buy. So. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, it's rather difficult to to secure property in Australia, and the and the banks and the finance there is quite different as well. It's, it's a it's a very different scene than it is to here, where it's it's a much more commercial investment environment. Was like. that not? I mean, you know, part of the part of the intrigue here, Craig, from my point of view, is was that not scary to you? 
or was that actually just made total sense to come over here, start investing in property, find a deal for 45 grand, because it sounds like a great deal, but I'm sure you did more analysis than that. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and actually, you know, because there's a lot of people that just find it really difficult to get started. Was it the fact that you actually made the big move and the commitment that actually helped propel you into doing it? What, what, what do you think the psychology was there? That, that is a really interesting question, whether it helped <laughs> or not. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, a lot of people say to us, oh, you know, you're really brave. You were, you know, amazing that you could do this, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess we sort of look back at it now and, and think, gosh, we were crazy. But I don't know if it helped. I think the, the thing that helped was that we burnt the boats. Yeah, you'd build up you know, the bridge and you'd go on, yeah. Yeah, I think that that was a big driver. Was we di we didn't want to quit, so we threw ourselves in, you know, into the deep end without a without a paddle and just had to learn to swim. So, so we did, and yeah. it was it was quite stressful. And we're, there were probably times where we wanted to quit, but we'd set ourselves up to have very very low expenses. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we did house sitting as a, a way of not having to pay rent. Yep. So we could keep our financial outgoings to, you know, just, just the basics, food and, and what have you. You know, transport was all company anyway. You know, we're driving to sites. That's all we, all we yep. were doing. Yeah. So it was uncomfortable for quite a while, you know, as we weren't making any income initially as, we're buying the properties and doing doing the work and trying to raise money for these things as well and learning the systems. But, you know, our investors that we did attract at that very early stage, we still work with today. Yeah. So amazing relationships that, that have been built over the years. Yeah. So um, you're, you're mm. opening up a whole avenue there that we need to discuss, which is... Mm. Fine, coming over here is obviously uh, quite a commitment. But then the next thing is when you get here, you got to find deals, which it sounds like you managed to do relatively quickly. But mm -hmm. well, then you got to finance them. Mm. And you you don't have a home. You know, you're, you're jumping around from different homes. I mean, how do you overcome the whole financial wall that's in front of you? That was difficult. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Understatement. <laughs> yes. But it, well, it wasn't that hard. Okay. So we had a, a bit of a network here, which was, which was good. We're, we first arrived, uh, we stayed with a, with a friend that I've known for 20 years. So I, I first came okay. to, to the UK in 1999. Right. Uh, okay. And I was here for three years. And then I've come back several times in between once for, for two years. So having having a place that we could call home, and you know put our address as yeah, okay. as there, and you know being yeah. able to register with GPs and HMRC really and all those yeah. sorts of things was really helpful. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we always had a, a residence, as yeah. far as you know, officially. That's yeah. and that's where we went back to quite a lot as well. So okay, so that's a big tick. Right. Okay. And yeah. now, but then we're talking about raising finance and you mentioned yeah. there about 
private investors, that sounds like a really early stage of your career. You're like, right, okay, there's 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 the bank money, and then there's other people's money. So, how did you start that process, Craig? So we had we had a little bit of our own money. I think about twenty or thirty thousand um, pounds. Then we attracted a an investor in in Melbourne that was one of June's clients. Okay. And on the way here, we stopped in with this. So the, the course that we did, there was a bit of a network that came from that. And one of those people that met us and heard our our story that we were going to the UK and <laughs> crazy story. <laughs> raising yeah. raising funds. They're like, I want in. And um so he he's and he's been with us that whole time and reinvested and reinvested over and over. Fantastic. So it was just a small amount, but given we were doing quite small deals at the time, it, it worked out. Yeah. So, yeah. And then my, I don't know, my uncle's best friend's son yeah. <laughs> was here, <laughs> you know, and so we got introduced and, and met up and what have you. So he, I think he was one of our, our first bigger investors yep. for, the, for the commercial conversion in Swansea in South yep. Wales. So we worked worked with him until we could get bank finance. So we were, we're using private bridging and private investor money to get the deals done, the first couple of deals. Yep. So we didn't get a bank involved until we were refinancing. Yep. And I think we bought a home that was a mortgage. One of the banks was happy to give us a mortgage as a new come out to the country, what have you. It wasn't yep. too difficult to to get that mortgage when and it was like a seventy percent loan to value on the house kind of mortgage. And I mean that that deal was our very first planning deal. We did a title split and did you know did amazingly well out of it. So but it was all other people's money and the and the mortgage that allowed us to do that. So. Yeah, so each time you've you've then refinanced out to pay off your private investor, they may stay with yes. you and go for the yeah. next project. And and have you kept most or have you sold some? What's been the has there been a, a core yeah. strategy there or what, what's we we sort of follow the, the rule which is project. to try and keep two for it and sell one. Okay. So approximately it's worked out that way. Although, you know, some of the ones that we were going to sell, we've kept. Yeah. <laughs> some of the ones we were, we were going to keep, we might sell. So, you know, that's... Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and during the refinance process, has that got easier, more difficult? I mean, it depends when your last one was, of course. But how are you finding that whole world at the moment? Um, it's been fairly easy because we've moved to a commercial mortgage situation rather than the, the buy-to-let residential mortgage yep. side of things. So we've, we've only got one buy-to-let mortgage, and that was, to be honest, a, a pain in the butt. Even though it's in a limited company, the, the property, which maybe made it worse, yep. but it was much more difficult than any of the others. Interesting, the, yeah. Yeah, the commercial mortgages, uh, they just look at the numbers and go, oh, yeah, that works, done. You know, the... Buy to lets or the or the residential mortgages. So I just I just bought a house actually in my name, and I 
was planning to buy, I bought it at auction and I was hoping that I could just go straight onto a term loan with a with a bank and when we renovate, refinance and, you know, pull out yeah. a little bit more. But it was just too hard. So I, I ended up going to a private bridger and saying, <laughs> can you cover this? And, uh, you know, because it's an auction, I've only got another week. And, uh, and he turned around and, I mean, it took... T- Took three weeks, but we we could do it within yeah. the time frame. I think for the listeners' sake, it's it's really worth covering. Actually, we've bought four properties at auction, I think, and none of them have completed in twenty eight days. Yeah, not a, okay. not a single one. We've had a notice to complete served on us three out of the four times, and we've all always managed to complete on the deal. Now there's there's a lot of nuance there, and sure. I guess the the thing for the for the listener to take away is those dates don't really mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> At least not to Craig, anyway. <laughs> well, it's not just me. Like the, I, I got the confidence to do the second one anyway, which was the Liverpool one. I got a lot of confidence for doing that from a colleague in Scotland, actually, Kingusi. The Thompsons, if you're if you're yes. listening, a shout out to them. They 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 do great things. But he used to be a, a lawyer in Scotland, yep. so it's where it's different. But he he said, "Oh yeah, don't don't worry about completion dates. They mean absolutely nothing. The lawyers will work at the pace the lawyers work. Work that yeah. is that, and it, <laughs> they will decide it. They might their client might be yelling at them to complete, and you might be yelling at your solicitor, but." They will work at their own pace and complete when they complete, when they're when they're both happy. And you know, obviously there's a bank solicitor as well and that has to yeah. be happy too. So on average, those completion dates mean nothing. So <laughs> <laughs> what has been your time frame? Well, the the longest one would be eight months. Okay. That's a lot more than twenty eight days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's beyond the twenty eight days. And yeah. then we didn't get the notice to complete. So that's that's Liverpool. It took five months for them to serve the notice to complete. They served it. They told us that the deal's gone. We still managed to secure the property and complete two and a half months later. Gee, yeah. 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 <laughs> so that was, that was a long one. And yeah. there was a bit of stress there. I bet there was, especially because yeah. you knew how good the deal was. Well, there was that, and and the uh, deposit money was sitting yeah. there. That was two hundred oh, grand. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it was somebody else's money. Uh, it was it was actually ours. Um, okay. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> we we either way, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was even even more stressful, shall we say? No, it was equally as stressful. But yeah, so we we eventually got it across the line, and it was just it was our biggest raise. So we needed seven hundred grand or something, and yeah. that was like three, four times what we needed before ever. So, and how many yeah. private investors did you have help with that one? Out of interest, or did you uh, keep bridging on there? Well, uh, we—I mean, it was a bridge for the balance. So the the equity came from private investors. So it was a few through various structures. Yeah, um, yeah. I wouldn't want to get into the legal side of things too much. I think that's 
a very grey area in, in my experience yeah. and complicated yeah. and yeah, it's better to to work with experts and yes. <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I wouldn't even want to talk about my experience because it's been a bit all over the shop and we've had various advice that what we're doing is wrong. It's, yeah, it's all yeah. It, it, it's all shades of grey, isn't it? That's the challenge. Yeah. Exactly. And you will get one opinion from one professional and a different opinion from another. And ultimately, you've got to make up your own mind. Yes. Yeah. Well, our our lawyer thinks what we're doing is okay. So I'm happy with that. Yeah. And our accountant. (laughs) You know, some other professional thinks otherwise. Well, that's, you know, as you say, you get different opinions. Okay. Let's Mm. move on to Marl Hall. So that's in mm. the one, the property over in North Wales, correct? Yes. Yep. So this one was, was this one through an auction as well, Craig? It was, yeah. Yep. Right. So maybe just talk us a little bit more about, first of all, the property, the size, the grounds that come with it, and then let's talk a little bit through the purchase of that one. Okay. So it's a beautiful list, listed building, grade two listed. Yep. It's Georgian, so it's got amazing features and beautiful wooden sash windows and that sort of thing. It sits on a hillside in Clondudno Junction overlooking Conway Castle, right near Snowdonia National Park. It's on about 3.3 acres or about a hectare, Mm -hmm. just over a hectare in Newspeak. (laughs) And it's about 1,500 square metres or 15,000 square feet, just a bit over that. There's also a, a cottage, a workshop, and a mobile classroom on the site. And it's just next to a wood, which it used to be on the same title as, and it's been split off uh, yep. by, okay. well, at some point in, in the past. Yeah. I mean, pictures speak a thousand words. So anybody that is not seeing this on, on video, you need to go and have a look at it um, mm. online. It's a fabulous looking building, a pretty imposing building, and also a, a a damn scary building to be taking on, <laughs> certainly for those that are getting started, right? So, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't start with something. Yeah, like I'd never yeah. start with that yet. So, just <laughs> maybe go through how you discovered it. As you say, it went through or it came through from auction. Maybe just talk us through those steps, Craig. So, uh, a friend posted in a group, that, like a small WhatsApp group that I'm in, the link to the property and said, check this one out. It's only yeah. 400 grand. Um, which was the guide price for yeah. for the auction. And I went and had a look at it. And I, I have a sort of soft spot for beautiful buildings. So I looked at looked at the, the listing online and went, oh, that's quite nice. And then I checked if it was within an hour drive and it's not quite. It was an hour and 15 minutes on a good day. And I was like, oh, it's just over. I'll go have a look. So I went to went to the viewing, the block viewing, uh, met a few of the other people that were interested and had a had a really good look at it. And it was in such good nick that I was like, well, there's no way this is going for, for four hundred thousand. They're you know, they're joking. So I talked to the council as well and just to see what they were thinking. And they said I said that they priced it so that some other like school like them could take it on and run an outdoor yeah, education centre. Yeah, yeah, continue its its existing use. So I was like, oh, fair enough. But you know, you 
mad to think that a developer won't buy, come and buy it like me. But yeah. Anyway, so I sort of set it aside. And then on, on the auction day, I watched the auction. I didn't register the bid and I didn't bid during the auction. Yeah. But on that day, I wrote to the uh, auctioneer and said, so I actually, I actually missed the end of the auction. The internet broke, you know, or something <laughs> at the opportune moment as, as sometimes happens. And so I actually missed the, the last, you know, two minutes of, of the auction and, and it sold and it sold for less than what I thought it was worth. Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, that's, that's a pretty good, that makes it a very good deal. So I wrote to the auctioneer and offered to take it on for more than what it went for if it falls out of bed. And at 6.30 that night, I got a call from the auctioneer saying, it's fallen out of bed. Do you, do you want <laughs> that's it? That didn't take long. So, I mean, the, the, the bank job, which um, is the one that we originally met over, yeah. in Newcastle took 15 months to fall out of bed. So I was expecting it to be a little bit more than a few hours. Yeah. So I, I said to the auctioneer, I said, okay, I'm, I wasn't quite ready for that. Let me call some investors and make sure I, I can back this because I'm, I'm yeah. not doing this without backing, which I've done before. I've said yes at an auction without a single investor yeah. <laughs> to cover the to cover the deposit, <laughs> i.e. Liverpool. And I, I recommend to your listeners, dear listener, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a little bit of that myself. Oh, yeah. Right yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll work it out later. Yeah. We'll well, not always later. the best possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> not always the best policy, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's it's kind of fun to to be that stressed and have to work that hard. But with that pressure, and it's, you know, if you're, if, you know, dear listener, if you're sitting there a year down the track and haven't bought a property yet, just go bid on something at auction without anything. And you'll soon, you know, <laughs> learn everything that you need to know and put in place everything that you need to do in order to do it, because it, it really can. Don't, don't buy something really expensive, but, you know, put, put a few, thousand pounds on the line and that, that'll you wanna, get you going if you yeah. go and do that and you want to follow up with craig i'll leave you his email address you can yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you can blame him yeah no absolutely absolutely okay so we've got the auction you've phoned yeah. the auctioneer he's yeah. come back to you like oh my goodness right so right around a few phone calls to investors right i think we've got the money together or we can get the money together so you're back to the auctioneer mm -hmm. let's do this so how long mm. how long did that take? So I think it was two days for me to confirm back to the auctioneer that yes, we're a go. Yep. Uh, it took three days to get the full deposit in the bank, so to yep. speak, uh, and pay the auction house the the ten percent. And then you know we started with the the finance already at that time. Uh, obviously, it's well maybe not obvious that kind of purchase you do it as a bridge. And because we are getting planning as well, then it, it would have been a bridge anyway. So you yep. always get a, a bridging loan when you're going for planning because nobody will, no development lender will lend you money that quickly for starters, but also 
without planning. So, yeah. so we arranged a bridge. Uh, we're working with a, a fairly nice bank and then raised the balance of what was required, which I think worked out to be about 40, 40, 45% of okay. the total cost of purchase. And we raised that, I think, within about two or three weeks. There was a little bit at the end that we weren't quite sure about, which is always the case. You know, you get a few people that say yes straight away, although not always. <laughs> I, think, I think there's an interesting piece here that we could pull apart, and that is that most investors will um and ah for a good couple of weeks and need a bit of pressure to make a decision and so that was you know that with with the last two purchases we're in under auction conditions and that pressure is there and and if you you've got this careful balance between putting pressure on that investor to make a decision but you also want them to make the decision to invest so you don't want to push them out to give them too much pressure that they just quit. So, but, but ideally, you want a yes or a no. You just need to know. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. So you know, and when when you get a a no, you can go and go around the houses again and actually find the money somewhere else. Yeah. Essentially, but if somebody's been pretty certain that they're going to go, and you get that impression from the from the get go, then you you know. You've got to keep pushing for a decision. Yeah, to get it done one way or another. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've pulled together, you've got the, the bridge. Now you go for planning. How do the wheels stay on the bus? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> the wheels stayed on the bus for, for a little while. So we had, a, we had we working with a planning consultant with another project. That project, we hadn't got to planning like the submission yet. Yep. And he hadn't quoted us for the submission yet. So when he did quote us for the submission, it was, we were about four months in to the Mile Hall project. And it was five times what we were expecting it to be, which really threw a spanner in the works because then we, we asked him about the you know the the fees for for mile hall planning and they were about five times what we're expecting (laughs) and essentially what we'd budgeted for and it threw the whole feasibility out also we so we got a measured survey done we did a tree survey we did all the sort of initial work before you can even go in for a pre-app we we wanted to put together essentially the whole plan before we we do a pre-application. So we've done all the, all the, well, most of the surveys and got the architect to do some basic designs and then do some pricing for the next stage of that, which is Reba stage two and three. Yeah. For those that are a bit more technical. Um, we're about to go into that stage and we've got some quotes back for the design and for the Reba stages two to two to seven, and that was five times what we're expecting <laughs> the design cost to be, and you know reasonably so they they'd allowed for a lot of the listed stuff to be covered. So I don't know drawing 
intricate fireplaces and yep. things like this. So we we kind of went down this path that we're going, well, that's not feasible in our with our current budget. How can we cash flow this a little bit? And we thought, well, a temporary use could be as uh, a home for immigrants, for refugees. So we started chasing the home office for them to use it for for temporary measure. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got quite close to that. In fact, they approved it as a as a site in well, it, was, it took four months to get them to approve it. They eventually approved it. The local MP kicked up a stink and three days later it was unapproved. <laughs> so, <laughs> which was quite upsetting because that was that was the the cash flow that we we needed to to go down the original path yep. planning path so we kind of at that point i i was at a very low point and i think you're you've done some episodes on on um mindset uh which has really been really interesting for me and and i think it's something that we could talk about on a whole nother episode but yeah there was a real need for very difficult mindset positions to be in you know because we're like oh this this isn't going to work how are we going to make it happen etc so we had to completely pivot and we were thinking of just selling it and taking the loss we were thinking of all sorts of directions and eventually we talked to another planning consultant about just changing the the use class because it was classed as a c C2 in England or D1 in in Wales, they still have D1. And he had a look at it and said, well, you could go for C1 for a boutique hotel and not for like just using it as a hostel, which is what we were originally proposing yeah. for its, its current format. And we had a look at that, talked to the architect about that and looked at the structure of the building and decided that why why weren't we doing this in the first place really it, it it's perfect for the structure it works with the heritage overlay of the building as well because we're not changing any anything major structurally which we would yep. have done under the holiday let structure so this this planner just had a, a brilliant idea and we're now going down that path Great. Right. Okay. So that that's working its way through. And what's your current estimate of when you're going to be able to start pulling in some customers and income on that? So the other thing that we were doing at the same time to to try and cash flow was looking for for a use right now. So we've actually established that and and got approval from the appropriate people to use it as a an educational uh, accommodation place across yep. the summer so small groups can come up and use it this summer so we'll Great. be cash flowing by you know in in a few weeks and going for planning for the for the boutique hotel great so you can get both running at the same time yeah so exactly I, I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see how that project all develops out craig i'd love to come and mm. visit that one um <laughs> tell me what what else are you working on and and i guess I should maybe take one step back from that and just say, what ultimately is it you're 
trying to do? Is it just a lot of fun and you want to just add more buildings? Have you got a longer term strategy? What is your approach to sort of more long term thinking or planning? So um, I've had a I've had a hard year. <laughs> and um, June, June, my wife's gone back to Australia for at least two years. Yep. So my my plan is to finish what we've got on the on the plate, yeah, and take a break. Yeah, that won't last very long. So I've got got some ideas around <laughs> um, energy is what yeah. I'm really interested in, and yep. um, we touched on it briefly earlier with with Macclesfield, you know, being a low energy building, and I think there's amazing opportunities for net zero uh, strategic moves both yep. in building greener but also in energy well in energy storage really yes renew renewables need a place to go when they're generating because we're not always using all of the generation at the time so i've started delving into that into that world so i'm quite uh, interested to get into energy development projects and and we did talk a little bit about that before and i definitely want to come back and talk to you about that if we mm. can at some point because it's such a complicated subject but it's going to be affecting every single one of us and, mm. and as as developers we've all got a responsibility to make sure that we're thinking ahead mm. and planning these things in and there are some aspects that we have control over and then there is other aspects that we don't and and really we don't need to worry about the bits we don't have control over. we just got to get on with the stuff that we can so I, it would Absolutely. be really interesting to have a conversation um, in the future just around some of the things that developers can do, what's practical and work, you know, can actually work for them. And, you know, I appreciate some of that's maybe down the path, mm. but, it, but it would be great to have a conversation just around that subject so that it opens people's minds up to some of the possibilities. Because part of the problem at the moment is actually investigating what is available, what is practical, what does make financial sense. And it's a complex subject. Not that commercial property isn't, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, there's a lot of greys in there at the moment. So it'd be great to just have a conversation around that. Craig. Totally. I mean, it, it, an initial thought for, for for the listeners is is how many little dead spaces do you have in your buildings? Like every building that we have has like a basement or some funny corner or you know some yeah. bit of space that you could put energy storage essentially or some bit of plant that would improve the way that that building operates yeah um and or improve the way the grid operates for example yeah uh, with with uh, batteries so yeah i think there's an amazing opportunity to talk about different ways of doing that but yeah. the, the initial thought is hey how where are those spaces because they're yeah. in every building so. yes yeah. Right, great. Okay, so that's what the future is going to potentially be for you, at least for the next few years, is working mm. on those projects. And I'm sure you'll get attracted by some other attractive-looking buildings somewhere. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah. And are you going to be doing um, more ski trips, Craig? <laughs> um, last time I met you. Yeah. <laughs> I know, looking across at a, on a lift in Chamonix and seeing, uh, hey, I know like you. You're, you're under that helmet, I know that face. Uh, it was yeah. funny because I'd been looking on Facebook as you do, and I saw you'd gone out to the Alps, thinking, "Oh, Craig's going to the Alps too." So am I. Mm. Mm. And then uh, we end up facing each other in a in a in a cable car going over a valley. But yeah. what was interesting is what you've been up to the day before. 
Oh. <laughs> was that was that the day after I got hellied out of? Uh, it was. So it was, we're in a yeah. we're in a we're in a um, cable car. Let's set the scene here, right? Mm -hmm. With standing room only as they are, 50, yeah. 60 people stood in there, and they're all yakking away, and I'm yakking away with my friends, and then I look up and I see you, and we look at each other, and I'm like, Craig, Jerry, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then you start telling us about your day before because yeah. you said, well, yes, we arrived yesterday as we had. And I said, oh, did you get any skiing? And you said, well, kind of. And you left it. And then, so I had to say, I said, well, what do you mean kind of? So then you went into the story and the cable car went silent. <laughs> Maybe you could just remind me of what, you, what happened. Yeah. So I was, I was going off pissed, which is what I like to do when I go skiing, and looking for this particular track that was yeah. marked as you know an interesting sort of off-pissed track and i and i missed it and i went down a little bit went climbed back up and, and what have you and then i i went across thinking it was in this particular direction and ended up on the edge of a cliff uh <laughs> with no way of being able to climb back up so the i wasn't injured luckily so i called the ski patrol and said i'm i'm kind of stuck can you come and help yeah. me navigate off this this cliff so they sent a guy down uh he he missed where i was was went to the ski track that was right where near you're me, supposed to be yeah. where you're supposed to, where i was supposed to be looked up and went don't move <laughs> and and called a helicopter <laughs> uh, so yeah the helicopter came in you know dropped a well they dropped two guys down one of them uh Abseiled down to where I, I was, and put a harness on me, attached a cable, and up we went to to the helicopter <laughs> and flew <laughs> flew out of there. Um, it was quite funny, actually, uh, for the listeners. The Chamonix Valley, the Chamonix town, is in between two big mountains yeah. on either side, and in a valley, and. So the helicopter took us up and then out across the Chamonix town. So we were flying at, I don't know, 1,500 feet above this the town and got the most amazing views of Chamonix. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite incredible and quite exciting. But That's the yeah. silver lining. What I didn't realise mm. um, was that you call, that was all including your lift pass, that well, rescue. I, I, I did pay for the rescue insurance. Yes. So it was a, it was a 20 euro but you paid uh, helicopter it, yeah, up front. You decided yeah, to do that. Yeah. yeah. 20 yeah. euro that's good value. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 3 3 euros a day or something but yeah. yeah. So there you were. That's how you missed out on half a day skiing and we were in yeah. the cable car and you telling me that and everybody's yeah. very quiet listening. <laughs> and I said to my friends I says only Craig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do, yeah, do like to go fun. on some some adventures, that's for sure. Yeah, well, uh, that's for sure. Yeah. And in your property as well. <laughs> mm, yeah. Right, yeah, great, right. great. If you were talking to yourself, and um, we'll wrap up here, but if you were talking to yourself when you came over here first to get started in this industry, what would you be saying to that younger self about some of the things that you've now learned? Would you actually tell yourself anything? <laughs> or is there a couple of key things you think, do you know what? If I knew that, things might have been slightly different. 
I think that the thing that I realized more from mentoring is, yeah, so being, I'm now mentoring a couple of people and that that's where I realized what I've learned, <laughs> funnily enough, by teaching yep. somebody else is, is how I've actually learned that. And the the things that I've been saying to them, I'm not sure if I would have said to myself, but the, I realized the value of all of my life experience comes into into play in property because it doesn't matter if you were i don't know i worked at kfc for example when i was a, a teenager so the experience that i had from that working in kfc comes into property and yep. the experience i had uh, working in london city comes into property you know those those contacts those uh, connections that everything from every part of your life is valuable and i think the most important thing is to recognize your whole life and who you are in order to be able to to do this this new thing and and pull on everything and trust yourself very good okay so pulling yeah not dissing things that you've done in the past and thinking because often people come in commercial and they've got a great track record in residential mm -hmm. um, or in business and and they just seem to park that and forget they've got that experience and say i know nothing i don't know what i'm doing um whereas actually yeah life has taught you loads of things that's great okay mm -hmm. great yeah all right Absolutely. so um if anyone wants to see what you're up to or look at any of your projects craig anywhere they need to go online to see see things so the the simplest way is to go to mpp.pm which is middleparkprojects.com. Yep. Um, but, you know, for typing into your browser or whatever, mpp.pm. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes for people so they can see That's that well. too. Yeah. Um, right. Craig, this has been fantastic catching up. Great to hear mm -hmm. more about your story. Thanks for sharing. Anyone that needs to get in touch with Craig, we'll put the details in the show notes. And um, Craig, we're going to get back together and have a discussion about sustainability, right? That'd be fantastic. Look forward right. to it. Thanks, Thanks Greg. Yeah. Cheers. Hi there. I hope you're enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast. And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be your first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.